So we had some stuff lined up because we watched uh, Get Smart that we were going to do like uh, Police Squad and The Avengers and uh, Man, Man from Uncle. Right. So that's all still in the queue. That's, I assume, what we'll start doing next week. But speaking of next week, I'm going to start finally traveling again after uh, all this COVID lockdown for the past four freaking years. So we're going to, I mean, we've done a couple episodes of this just through computer stuff. It seems like it went pretty well. So that's the plan, I guess, starting next week, depending on uh, what my Airbnbs are like, unless I get caught somewhere where the internet doesn't work. But it all seems like it should be pretty easy to do. Although, uh, once I get to Japan, the 12-hour time difference is going to be uh, interesting, but we'll figure it out. But since this is the last week that I'm here in person for the time being, till I'm done my gallivant and about, uh, I figure, like, short shows like Police Squad, much easier to do over the internet. Watching a whole movie is probably something, I mean, this was kind of never the point of this podcast anyway. We kind of always did TV, and I've just been sprinkling in movies here and there, but I assume we probably won't really do many, if any, movies over the internet because it's just a long time to sit there on, uh, on Skype or whatever we use, you know? <laughs> it's a lot easier to just watch a TV show. So since this is my last weekend here, I was like, oh, let's squeeze in one more movie. And this is also just this movie that whenever I'm doing traveling stuff, just makes me think about traveling. It's called the Darjeeling Limited, and it's about these brothers who go on like a spiritual journey on a train in India. And I just figured I'll just tell you a little bit about this movie. It's this guy, Wes Anderson, who all of his movies, he has like a very distinct style where he always makes movies about characters that are from well-off families that grew up with money and they're kind of disconnected from the average person and they're just emotionally unavailable in general. Like his characters have a really weird feeling of like they grew up not wanting for anything, but now they're these like weird people that are sort of hard to uh, identify with. And stylistically, he always has a kink song <laughs> and he, he uses these, I don't know how to explain it. Like you'll see it in the movie, but he, his camera angles are always just, it's like a play. He just sets the camera down 90 degrees. Here it is. It looks like a postcard. And He's generally pretty well-respected, but his movies are definitely pretentious. There's no question about it. Like, this guy thinks he's a smart dude, and he's a clever guy, and he's a fancy pants. <laughs> and you can feel that in his movies. But this one in particular, I think, is his least-liked movie. People just really didn't like this one, even though it's essentially that thing I described. It's the same as all his movies. It's about these people who are emotionally unavailable, who uh, grew up with money, who are disconnected from the average person. I don't know. I mean, I can see why a person might not identify with that in general if you don't like any of his movies. But I'm not really sure why people single out this one. The only thing I can kind of figure is it's these brothers who are, again, like I said, going on a spiritual journey in India. And I think people balked at that a little bit of like it's such a trope of like rich white guys who go to India to, to find themselves, you know. I mean, I can see how that's a bit obnoxious, but it's very in line with what he always does. And I guess I just never had a problem with this guy's movies because that's me. I'm the generation who didn't have to work that hard, who's just mooching off my forebearers. You and dad worked real hard to make a bunch of money, and now I'm going and gallivanting <laughs> off to Japan to have a spiritual adventure. I mean, I, I could just be in a Wes Anderson movie, so I really can't fault <laughs> his movies for that. And I do think it is shallow, but I think it's on purpose. Like, it is ridiculous that these rich white guys are going to India and like, oh, we're learning so much from the magical world of India. 
But it's supposed to be a joke because they're idiots. Hey, we just watched Jeeves and Worcester not that many weeks ago. Same thing. Yeah. And we loved that show. Yeah, this is, uh, that's a good, it's a very good example because this is like, imagine an American Jeeves and Worcester, or, except they're all just, they're all just Worcester, three Worcesters, <laughs> you know? Well, Worcester had a whole lot of Worcesters in his show too. Right. His, everybody he knew was one of these Worcester types. Yeah. Living off the family heirlooms and uh, gallivanting around and going to their clubs and having their manservant. Well, except that all of his friends usually had spent all their money, but they still thought they could live the li- live that lifestyle. Yeah, so this is that's an extremely good way to look at it. I think if you think of it through that lens, that'll help a lot with this movie because that's what his movies are always about, and this one in particular. And as far as the, uh, you know, the, uh, it's so so lame for some white director to make a movie about a bunch of rich white guys who go to India, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, that's true, but I, I just don't think that level of weight should be put on this movie. I think this is just kind of a neat movie. The whole thing is almost entirely set on a train, which is also just cool. You don't see a lot of movies where the whole thing's on a train, and they made this, like, fancy train set, and they filmed on a real train when they could. And, you know, it's just, it's just light silliness, much like Jeeves and Worcester. That is such, I didn't even think of that, but that's an extremely good way to look at it. But if you did look at it too deep and you really leaned on it and you really looked at this like it's supposed to be some genius movie by a genius director, I think that's where people went wrong with Wes Anderson in general. He's just not that deep. (laughs) But as long as you look at it like you're just watching a fastidious kind of aristocratic postcard movie, then, then it's great. So also the reason this came to mind for me, this came out in 2007. And I remember when I watched it, when it came out in the theater, I went to the theater to see it. So at that point I'd moved to Vancouver once before and it went really well that first time. So that was my second time back to Vancouver and it just wasn't going as well. The first time I got a cool job, got a cool girlfriend. I was like, wow, this is great. Second time, just nothing was, was happening. So I remember while I was watching this movie, it was when it kind of really clicked into me. Like, I got to do something else. And that's when I decided to go to New York. So this movie always sticks in my mind as a travel movie for that reason. It's about some guys traveling. And I just remember when I first saw it, it was like one of those, well, guess I got to keep traveling. It's not working. You know, the the magic's not happening this second time. Got to keep going. And then New York was a whole other story or whatever. And then the last thing, why this movie's been especially on my mind this last year or so, maybe just the last six months, is I just got new glasses before traveling, but they're not fully new glasses. These are the frames of my poor, dear, old, deceased dad's old glasses, which I think is just a cool cool thing to do, right? If I'm going to have glasses anyway, why not have his glasses? That's pretty cool. And homage to dad. Homage to Neil. Yeah, so every time I put them on, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I, you know, because it doesn't always cross my mind, but it, it always does when I put on my glasses. I'm like, oh, yeah, look at that. I got those, I got those glasses. That's cool. And that distinctly happens in this movie. The setup to this movie is these brothers are a bit estranged. They haven't seen each other in a while. But their dad passed away, and they're, they're clearly kind of falling apart. They're not dealing with it well, but because they're from this fancy-pants family, and, like, once they introduce the mom, Angelica Houston is the mom, and you really see how she... It's, I mean, I guess you'll see it in the movie, but she's clearly raised these guys to be not emotionally available, you know, to really try to just put up the stiff upper lip, but they just are having a hard time with it. And one of the things is one of the brothers is wearing the dad's glasses through the whole movie, and they realize partway through, like, you didn't even take out his prescription. 
You can't, you can't even see right now. Why are you wearing these? But it's clear he's wearing them because they were his dad's. So, so that kind of, you know, just made me think of this movie especially because it's like, oh, yeah, I'm wearing my dad's glasses too, but at least I put my own lenses in them, <laughs> you know? But that's a perfect example of the kind of characters we're dealing with here. All they want to do is express to each other, like, oh, man, we feel bad because our dad died, but they just can't. So they just do weird stuff like that instead. But it's very obvious. Like, that's where I say it's not that deep of a movie. It's not at all hard to see all of the symbolism and the metaphors and the blah, blah, blah. It's right there on Front Street, and it's kind of supposed to be. But even beyond all that, it's just a cool movie because it's like a travel movie set on a train. And even just at that basic level, I can't think of anything modern anyway where the movie is 90% on a train. And it's just cool. It's just really cool. <laughs> well, especially since trains in North America, in Canada, I won't say North America, uh, but in Canada, trains are really hard to come by yeah. now. You've got out in the West and in the mountains, in the, in the Rockies, they're still traveling. But even between major centers like Toronto and Montreal, you might have one couple yeah. that run. But the trains that used to run back and forth and connect Canada from sea to sea just don't exist anymore. And I mean, in this city here, we don't have any trains. We haven't had trains since the 1990s. Yeah, we've got all these... Uh trails and stuff in town and random walking bridges that uh, anyone who's new to the city wouldn't know, but we all know those used to be the train tracks. <laughs> it's yeah, like, and well, they were everywhere, but yeah. now no trains. So yeah, basically that's my, uh, that's my pitch for Darjeeling Limited is uh, don't take it too seriously. And uh, I think, I think you'll dig it because even just visually, it's beautiful. The way this guy films movies, it's, it's awesome. But yeah, and I think the Jeeves and Worcester thing, I'm glad you thought of that. That's an extremely good way to approach this. And yeah, as for the rest of the world that thinks this is his worst movie, I don't know. I just don't have a strong theory about that. I'm not quite sure why. Because he has some stinkers. This guy has some bad movies. <laughs> I haven't seen any of them, so I'm going in blind. So let's see. Let's see how he stands up. All right. 2007's The Darjeeling Limited. Oh, and like I said, too. I mean, I kind of knew of the kinks. I knew Lola, obviously, but mostly for the Weird Al version, Yoda. But I did have, when I was a kid, like a best of the kinks or whatever. But I, I really got into the kinks much more through Wes Anderson. Because he just always puts a kink song in his movies. And it's always an excellent song. <laughs> so that's... Oh, yes. The kinks, were, uh, the kinks were one of those standout bands. A little different than your standard band from, right. the, from the 60s. So let's go. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie in uh, quite a while. I have seen it since it came out, but it's probably been a few years. But I, I do have to admit that now that I'm uh, a bit older, I do find those characters less likable than I used to. <laughs> you know, when I was in my mid-late 20s, I was a lot, it's a lot easier to brush off their obnoxious behavior. Now that I'm in my 40s, I'm like, yeah, they are assholes. Like, I really can't deny that. They're dicks. But I still really like that movie. <laughs> but you know a lot of people that are like that, don't you? Oh, yeah, sure. Probably, I mean, probably more people now that you're in your 40s than you did when you were in your 20s. Well, and like I said uh, at the start, you know, like I, I do have a certain sympathy for this type of character because it's not that different from, 
from my life, <laughs> you know? And uh, in particular, maybe we'll go through backwards instead of going from the start. Like uh, when they meet up with their mom. And uh, I have so much sympathy for the mom just not wanting to deal with them. You know, that's one thing as I'm older now where I'm just like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm not going to try to solve everybody's problems. Maybe I'm not going to try to help people even. Maybe I just want to go do my own thing. You know, we only got one time on the earth. And, and that's how I feel about Angelica Houston's character. She's just like, oh, my fucking kids again. I raised them. Yeah, I, I brought you up. What more do you want from me? Yeah. But at that, as I mentioned to you earlier, that point when they say, she says, I'm here. I feel I'm helping people. They need me. And their response is, but what about us? These are full grown men. But they're still expecting their mother to lay down for them and give to them and be there for them and when they start berating her for not going to the father's funeral and she doesn't get into that but obviously they don't get that she had an entirely different relationship with that man as her husband than they did with that man as their father seems pretty evident they were probably divorced you know if she's like i just didn't didn't want to go to his funeral like if they were still uh. actively married that might be a little weird but if she hadn't maybe she hasn't seen the guy in 10 years yeah divorced or separated or something because she i don't know if she was at that convent at the time when he died but she was obviously somewhere far away because she had to fly in and then when she says uh they why weren't you at dad's funeral wine 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 <laughs> and she says because i didn't want to it's like they have no appreciation of the fact that Yes, she's their mother, but she is a person in her own right. And she can make decisions in her own right. That man, that that man that they were trying to reconnect with their father, she had a whole she had an entirely different relationship because he wasn't her father. And even with the the relationship with these kids, you know, uh obviously when you have kids, you're pretty shackled in for the next 20, 20 years, I guess, or so. But after that, it starts to get a lot, you know, more like, hey, eventually at some point, you know, these kids have to go off and do their own thing. She's in a freaking convent, not even just in India, way off the beaten track in India, couldn't be further away from these people, and already got a message from, from Owen Wilson's character saying they were going to come and told them not to come. And they still showed up. And they come anyway. So yeah, the next morning when she's not there, I again, I, I fully am on her side because what else are you supposed to do? How, well, like, what, what more could she do to be like, I'm not in the mood right now. <laughs> Give me a few years and maybe we'll hang out. But I'm we're not all your adults. mother. I do not. I, I am your mother. But <laughs> there is a point where you've got to take responsibility for yourself, honey. And I'm going to get on with my own life. And that's what she did. And... She was still the mother character in the fact that she said she was going to make breakfast for them the next morning. She did. But then she <laughs> took off, and I'm saying, yay, lady, smart girl. You hang around with those two, that bunch will be making them lunch, dinner, supper, breakfast again. They'll never leave. So, yeah, to rewind back to the start of the movie, uh, I thought it was interesting because, you know, I've got the one brother, so I have a certain amount of... Uh, like, you know, I, I do notice sometimes people, people who don't have any siblings, I definitely notice, like, I have experiences they don't have. Like, anytime someone says, like, oh, I've never been in a fight, or I don't know what it's like to get punched in the face, I'm like, and you don't have a brother, do you? Because I know what all that stuff's like. But, uh, but I think it's interesting because you have 11 brothers and sisters that you have enough siblings that you, you could equate these three characters 
to more than one trio in your family. You were saying at first I was thinking of it like so-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, but actually it's more like these three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you have so many siblings. But they're definitely, I could definitely relate to those three people, um, especially I'm the middle, I'm in the middle, so I'd be more like Adrian Brody. Uh, whereas that older fella, the Owen Wilson character, there are people definitely in my family that are like that. It's a, a little bit of a control thing. They've got to control. They try to be nice about it, and they're trying to be very diplomatic about it. But when it comes down to the bottom line, it's control, and they want to control the middle guys, and they want to control the younger people. And that came through so many times in that show. He did an excellent job at, at character developments and family dynamics, I, I felt. Yeah, and I think know. that's what the movie was. It was developing that, showing people, here's what family dynamics can be like. It is funny, though, because as we were watching it, you were saying, with Owen Wilson's character in particular, you're like, man, he's really unlikable. I don't like him. <laughs> but but it does all hinge around him. Like, he's the one who came up with this plan. He's the one who halfway tricked his brothers into coming on this spiritual journey with him. But that's the other thing I was saying at the start, how I really feel like it's important not to take this movie too seriously. And it really, out of the gate, I forgot like just how right away he's presenting them with an itinerary. And he says it straight up. Here's our itinerary for our spiritual journey. And that he's had his assistant bring a laminating machine to laminate the... Like, it's so, it's so stupid. It's so ludicrous that... Well, it is, it is but it isn't. It's, when you're a person that's in control like that... It's not just you saying things. You actually organize this stuff. And that's what he did. He, he didn't just, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. He actually had it all planned out right down to the plastic itinerary. And he kept hauling it out and hauling it out. And even though they were saying, we don't want to do that, he just totally ignored them. We're going to do it. We're going to follow the itinerary. And he never said Whether you like it or not, this is what we're going to do. But that's what he was doing. He was manipulating them all the way through. Yeah, that was one thing that, uh, again, I didn't notice so much before, but I noticed this time, is that it's very evident that Owen Wilson is, you know, despite the fact that he's doing these things, they also make it clear that he he is listening. Because what were the two things? One of them was how he kept ordering for everyone. So the middle brother is like, don't order for me. But then he immediately does. He does it the next time, but he does bring up, oh, don't worry, uh, He's going to order for himself, like that he was listening. And there was something with the younger brother, too. I don't remember what now, but that makes it almost worse. He's not just oblivious. He's not just in his own world. He, every time they say, hey, stop doing that, they show that he he heard them and he knows that they want him to stop, but he's not going to stop. He also knows what their answer is going to be, because yeah. when when uh, the middle guy says, uh, I'm going to order for myself, and he says, well, maybe you'd like to have the cookies. No, I'm going to order for myself. The cookies Okay, he's going to order for himself. <laughs> but he orders cookies. Yeah. <laughs> and I like, too, just that this movie, when it goes to the extremes of each thing, of, like, that, you know, they were very extreme about the uh, laminated itineraries. But also, like, if all, I, all that I had remembered was the dad's glasses that Adrian Brody always wears his dad's glasses. I forgot though, there's also the dad's belt, there's the dad's luggage, and the one that, that made me laugh is when they're shaving and he's like, is that dad's razor? And like that's so too many things to be holding on to. But that but I like that because that really, really nails it home that like these but characters that are gave me the message that 
these were boys who didn't really have a close relationship with their father. I imagine their mother, she's the one who brought them up. Um, they didn't have a really close relationship with him because he was probably doing his own thing. And now that he was dead, and they knew they could never have a relationship with him, they're hanging on to every little thing, every little item, the the glasses. They can't even change the prescription in the glasses. They, the, the razor. Uh, it's a wonder that Owen Wilson's using a toothbrush there at the end, and it's a wonder somebody <laughs> didn't say, is that Dad's toothbrush? <laughs> but they're just, uh, they're like holding on to every little thing. And, and they're going to their father's funeral, and they're all hung up on the fact that his his uh, highfalutin foreign car isn't at the funeral. And they get out, and they're, they probably, if they didn't miss the funeral, they almost did. Uh, they're, they they got to get that car to the funeral. It's like... If they'd had a really strong, solid relationship with their father, they probably would have been more respectful the way they were at the funeral where the little boy died in India and the, and that very solemn funeral. Yeah, so I guess we'll, uh, so we did the end, we did the, the beginning now, the middle, because yeah, that is the part that uh, I was saying at the start that a lot of people, this is their least favorite Wes Anderson movie. And I do think that that is one of the, the big criticisms and it is like weird, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it, is the fact that they get kicked off the train for just being drugged up assholes. That's also, I couldn't believe how many painkillers, like I remember that being a minor joke in this movie, but they're literally taking swigs of opiates. It's like and these people like, because I think that often about movies, it's a thing I came up with just for myself, is like when people, you know, people in movies don't act like in real life. They're just too clever or they're saying things nobody would really say or acting the way people would never really act. So sometimes I think of it as like, like I just imagine everybody in every movie and every TV show is drunk because it kind of, it's weird how often it works. You're like, oh yeah, maybe a person wouldn't really act like this, but they would if they were drunk. And it's interesting that that is directly happening in this movie. Like you kind of have to keep reminding yourself because they don't lean on it. But these people are high, like the whole time <laughs> on so many painkillers. It's weird. But, uh, but yeah, they get kicked off the train for good reason. They really are just, you know, being the worst. Like, you know, as you said when we were watching it, like maybe that's one reason people didn't like this movie is because it paints American tourists and travelers in quite a bad light, but not necessarily an unfair one. <laughs> you know, you just show up, you don't have any real respect for the culture or the environment. You bring a poisonous snake onto the train and let it escape. You, you know, one of them goes off with the, the hostess on the train and is having sex with her, even though the boss man on the train is kind of clued in and tells them to get out. Um, and that he's going to kick them off. But they have this attitude of like, oh, well, yeah, that's not going to happen to us. And then when push comes to shove, they think they can just pay it off with money and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's going to buy off the guy, and the guy throws the money away, and he's like, oh, he's throwing my money away. Like, how dare he? But then I guess where the tone of the movie gets weird is they get kicked off, and they're just trudging along through the countryside of India trying to find an airport or something, and... They come across some kids who fall into like a rushing river and go to save them but they only save two of the kids the third one drowns and that's where they have like the movie really shifts tone pretty radically to they go to the village of this kid who drowned and they are involved in the funeral of the kid and it's it is like a nice scene on the one hand like you were saying as we watched it that you know this is as opposed to their manic, crazy, 
barely making it to their dad's funeral like they just can't calm down everything is nuts this is like more of a representation of what a or the whole movie in general with their sort of disrespectful attitude they're like forced to be respectful all of a sudden it's just like the weight of everything around but them it's not a force it's it's actually the first time when they when they jump into the water all three of them to rescue that family that's the first time that they've ever really acted together up to that point they've been together but they've each been their own person and i i want this and i want this and i'm going to do this uh individuals when they acted together jumping in the water to save that family that's the that's the first time that you actually see in the movie that there's a real togetherness with them and when they are invited to go to the child's funeral it's the same thing they are very much in sync very much together they're very respectable re respectable very responsible and it is a very calm it's almost a calm scene when when the child is buried or not buried but they put them on the funeral pyre and after that there's they still are individuals and they're kind of doing their own thing but not the same way they're still a little bit in sync yeah and it's and I, I liked especially that's where they have the flashback of showing them going to their dad's funeral as opposed to now now it's like in a weird way they're properly experiencing a funeral the way you're supposed to experience it it's mostly like there's a lot of stuff in the movie if you just take it that that is what happened to them there's a lot of neat parallels and things that happen and stuff that's neat it's just a little weird when you think of it when you take a step back and just think of it as Wes Anderson and I think it was Roman Coppola who co-wrote this with right, him yes and uh it's, it's a weird choice by them because it really the tone of the movie like literally the second before this disaster Owen Wilson is pointing at these kids that are about to have this calamity happen. He just goes, oh, look at these assholes. Like, it's like a joke. And then right after they're done with the funeral part, they're putting hard liquor in their tea. And, you know, they're not so different oh, yes. from how you they used to be. You know very well that even though they've had this moment of togetherness, they're still the same idiots that they were right from the beginning. So that's where I could see the argument that just purely as a white North American writing this story, it could be disrespectful in a way because, you know, you're you're really working with some live ammo here. Like you're going like this is a, about the worst thing that could happen, that a kid dies in your movie. And what was the purpose? I mean, there were things that come of it, but I I feel like it would have fit the tone of the movie better if it were less serious. If like, they still were involved in something in the community to sort of show them how normal people are supposed to act. No, no, that see, wasn't I as felt bad. the death of that child was very fitting to the movie because these three were so into themselves and their lives. To oh, they were just too much. It almost would take like something very, very dramatic to bring them out of that. Um, just going to a community and helping out or seeing how the other side lived or something, I don't think they ever could have, they didn't see anything wrong with their lives. Yeah, it wouldn't be enough to shake them out of making a sarcastic comment or saying something rude or whatever. Yeah. This was like the only thing that could make them just it, shut it up. It had to be something <laughs> extremely traumatic. Right. And the fact that uh, they were going to leave after, actually, and they were actually on the bus or the train or whatever. I think it was a bus they were on. And 
the other little boy in that family came with other people from the community, and they invited them to that funeral. Well, if they had just uh, rescued these children and they had survived and then they just got on their bus and went off, what would have changed? Nothing. Right. Absolutely nothing. They needed a traumatic um, impact of something to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, it's a weird thing. Like, I can see the criticism and I do feel a little odd about it myself, but I don't have a, a good solution. I don't know how I yeah, would have written I don't it otherwise. See, I can't really see the criticism. I thought it was a very good movie if you look at it from the, from what he, I believe he was trying to do, which was uh, create family dynamics and really show the reality of what a lot of families are like. Um, but that could be why people didn't like it. Sometimes some of this stuff hits kind of close to home and you, you see yourself in these things. You're saying, geez, geez, I'm not, if I'm like that, I'm not really a very nice person. Or I know somebody like that, just exactly like that, and I can't stand them. Um, if, if you look at it from that angle, maybe you wouldn't be all that keen on this. And especially if you were expecting any kind of action. There was really no action other than the children falling in the water and the little boy drowning. That was really the only action in it. It's a... Uh... It's weird, too, where, I mean, uh, this guy, Wes Anderson, who makes these movies, if you ever see an interview with him, he's exactly how you might think he would be. He's the, exactly the guy who makes movies this exacting and this fastidious. He's like a skinny, nerdy guy. Just imagine a guy in a tweed vest. I don't know if he's ever worn a tweed vest in his life, but you can that's what you think of. He's that type of guy. And I do get the sense that I think he's, like, a little confused in a way that people... Mm think of his movies, th I mean, even I described it this way, that like they're odd feeling and distant and his characters seem emotionally, you know, removed from the situation. Because I really do think when he sits down and writes these, he always has a co-writer of some ilk in these movies, but I really do think they try and you can feel it in this movie a lot. Like I think they were really trying hard to have emotionally resonant things happen, but it just comes off weird, and I do think a lot of people can't relate to it. The one that I didn't notice until this time, but uh, that I was like, oh, that's like, it's very obvious, but it's still a nice moment, is when they were in the flashback and they were going to get the dad's car, and inside the dad's car they find the missing piece of luggage because they all have taken his luggage. But in the luggage is the youngest brother's novel, which he not only sent to the dad and the dad didn't read, but it's dedicated to the dad. And I was like, oh man, what a bummer, you know? Like, you know, he's got all these moments like that, that... And that's when you get the impression at a number of places throughout the movie, but especially at that point, where you say, you know what? Those kids were trying to have a relationship with their father, but he seemed to be too busy. He was doing something else. He just threw that in a suitcase and threw it in the trunk of his car. That was it. Yeah. Most fathers, if you had had a good relationship with them, would have said, holy, my, I got your, your book, your first book. I need you to sign it for me. I'm going to read that tonight. But the father didn't. It was, it was even in the envelope that it was delivered, and he didn't even take it out of the envelope. So that's when I wonder about these boys going around, and men, young men, with all these little artifacts that had belonged to their father, to me it's like they were just trying to hang on to something of their father's because in life they didn't have anything with him. Yeah. 
I may be totally off the mark there, but that's how I read that. That father was, uh, he was an absentee father there. Yeah, and I mean, if nothing else, like again, I think, I guess what I said at the start, I still kind of stand behind, is that I do think the best way to approach this is to to take a step back and not take it too seriously. Yeah. Like, you know, because it is mostly just, there's a lot of just ridiculous stuff in it. But then there is, if you want to dig into it, there's all kinds of weird stuff in there. Sure and, it is, and that's why it's a good movie, because you can look at it on a number of levels, and you can keep going. You can You can look at it very superficially on the top, and I think if you did look at it just at that level, well, you probably wouldn't like it. But you can keep going a little deeper and analyze it quite a bit. It's got a lot in it. It's beautifully filmed, and it has wonderful um, local color uh, scenes of India. I presume they filmed it in India. Yeah, I don't really know <laughs> not, a lot. Wherever they filmed it, it was beautifully done. I don't really know a lot about the behind-the-scenes of it. Where I was trying to figure out as I watched it, like I assume most of it is on a set, but there were some of those parts where clearly they just had to be on train tracks just out there filming an actual train. Yeah, and out in the wilderness, the scenery in the background, you could tell that it wasn't just done on a set. Like when the, uh, the convent where the mother was, that was up in hills somewhere with water in the background, a lake or sea or something. Beautiful, beautifully done. And obviously the music, and I was saying to you how uh, you were were like, man, this is good music in this movie, and like all of his movies, excellent soundtracks, just immaculate. The guy's got amazing taste (laughs) in in music. But yeah, it's one of the things, I think this is probably, I don't know for sure, the fourth or fifth time I've seen it, I guess. And it is weird, because it's just one of these movies I, I still, like, I just don't have a very clear opinion about a lot of it. A lot of it is just kind of like, what a weird movie, but But super interesting. To me, that is the sign of a good movie. If you watch it once and you say, I think I'd like to watch that again. And then you watch it a second time and you get a whole lot more out of it. And then even then you say, you know what? There's other stuff there. I'm going to watch it again. To me, that's, that shows an excellent, excellent movie. How many do you watch? And you say, oh, God, I won't watch that again. God, uh, but not this one. Yeah, even even on the very surface level, even if you wanted to watch it and not focus on the characters and not focus on the story, this is one of these movies, like the, and his, a lot of his movies are this way, where the mise-en-scene is super important of just the, the place where it's taking place. You could easily watch this movie with the sound off and just look at all the weird little rooms and compartments in the train and all the stuff happening in the background. And like, there's so much stuff there. It's like, it's, it's ridiculous. And like I was saying to you too, if we ever, if we ever do watch another Wes Anderson movie, this is actually one of his shorter movies. So that's the problem. Cause even this at 90 minutes, it feels a little long. His two hour movies really feel long. So I feel like maybe we'll save those for when I'm back in town or something, but like he'll have like I was saying, there's one that takes place in a submarine. It's based on Jacques Cousteau, and you get to know that submarine. And there's one that takes place in, like, their old family home, and you know all the rooms in the house. And it's all so meticulous and so specific. But this one is kind of extra that way because it's just little train, little train cars, but it's just so much neat stuff going on in it. Good choice. Good choice. I liked it. And like I said, because I'm a taking off traveling in just a few days from now gonna start start a moving i mean it's certainly a good gives you that feeling for travel type of movie (laughs) because it's also like not just like oh traveling is so fun this definitely gets into like traveling's a pain in the ass and uh i forgot about that scene at the end where you know the whole movie they've been obsessed with their dad's 
uh, matching luggage, but to catch the train, they have to let go of the luggage, which again is like so on the nose, so obvious of just such an obvious metaphor of let go of your baggage and specifically let go of your baggage about your dad to keep on moving. But it's still just a cool scene. But even just on a shallow level, I could feel that because I always travel with just one bag and it's not easy. But the one time I upped to a second bag because one of my friends gave me his PlayStation, so I had to get a second bag to carry the PlayStation, it turned my life into just misery for the next three weeks while I tried to get that PlayStation back here. And then, as if it was like God telling me never to bother doing that again, the PlayStation broke in like a month. It was not worth paying the extra money for the extra bags and the extra weight and the extra... And they had like eight bags of their dads. Like well, so much it, crap. It finally, it's like, it's, it's like they have finally gotten the message that their mother said to them is the past is over. We're going to talk tomorrow morning about the future and where we will be in the future. And, of course, then she takes off. She's saying, I'm not hanging around and having discussion with these jokers. Uh, but still, they have finally got the message that the father's stuff is just stuff and you've got to move on. <laughs> That's one thing, too, is uh, who knows what the future holds for the oldest and youngest brother. But the middle one's got a, a baby who's coming in like a month. He's got to get the hell home and stop with all this nonsense. So at least his path forward is clear. But yeah, anyway, Darjeeling Limited. Uh, if you somehow listen to this and have never seen this movie, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say if you've never seen a Wes Anderson movie, you should watch something else first. Go watch the Royal Tenenbaums, maybe. But, uh, but I don't know, even if, if, if you've either heard that it's his worst movie or you even just remember not liking it. Like, hey, it's been a long time. Give it another try. It's, uh, you know, especially once you, if you've heard that opinion and then some time has passed now, you know, you can, it's easier to ignore it and just <laughs> say, you know, just trust me, it's not his worst movie. I won't get into it, but he's got some movies that I can barely make it through. And this is not one of them. This movie has got a lot of good stuff in it. So, all right, next week, uh, Police Squad. <laughs>